Over the last decades, the word karma has become mainstream in the West parlance, with a common understanding that this notion, coming from the millennia-long traditions developed on the Indian subcontinent, has something to do with our destiny, with our good or bad luck, or with paying for one's bad deeds, our sins. During this contemplation, we'd like to delve a bit deeper, from a place of inner understanding, into what the law of karma is as to its spiritual essence. Because do we actually know how karma works in our life, beyond what we might perceive as fortunate or unfortunate? And what is the practical meaning of karma, for a person who has opened him or herself up to a spiritual path. And can we, maybe, find a higher perspective, a higher, we could say, divine purpose to this fundamental law of our existence? Karma is one of the most fundamental laws in creation. It is everywhere we go. It is everywhere we are not. It is in us and around us, guiding us through our lives. No person on earth is exempt from being under the working of karma. But how can we imagine its influence? Because the concept is so big and so much bigger than ourselves that only an analogy would be able to convey the essence of karma to our consciousness. Jesus said, My people get lost because of lack of knowledge. Implicitly he states that we are ignorant about many things and aspects of our existence here on earth. And he also said, My kingdom is not of this world, which is entirely in keeping with the universal doctrine that states that there are two worlds, two planes of existence. One domain is that of the life we know so well, mainly characterized by gaining knowledge through experience and cyclical de developments. The other realm of life is that kingdom not of this world, the original field of human existence. That world is as real as the material world that we can perceive with our senses. The difference is that it is of a much higher energy level, a level that begins where the level of our universe ends. The original divine human being that inhabited that realm is the microcosmos, a miniature universe. That original life field is all around us, but it is inaccessible to us, slow mortal beings with that very limited consciousness and perception of the world around us. 
but somewhere deep down, a gentle voice constantly reminds us of this other land, this other higher plane of consciousness. Many legends, myths and fairy tales have conveyed this wisdom since time immemorial. And this stirring of our hearts makes us feel as if we are homesick or that we have lost something precious that we are now desperately trying to get back. And it compels us instinctively to look everywhere in the world for that missing something. We climb the highest mountain, we dive into the deepest ocean and move faster than the speed of sound. We rocket ourselves to the moon, to Mars, to a faraway star, but it will not bring us an inch closer than we already are to that original land. So what we lack is not only that missing something, but also true knowledge about the reality of our lives. So we grope around, trying to find what is amiss. We act, become mindful, become silent, become noisy again, go on a retreat, set up our own business, travel around the world to find home, etc. But what we gain is nothing but experience. But experience is memory, and memory prevents us from going through the same experiences time and again, and to grow and mature. A lot of memory equals a lot of life experience, and life experience guides future decisions. Our mothers took us by the hand when we were toddlers. They did so to protect us from burning ourselves on the stove or falling from the chair we climbed out on, out of lack of knowledge. And of course we didn't like our mother's hand at all because we wanted to be free to explore the world according to our own impulses, not aware of any dangers and not hindered by any memory. And that is why we needed our mothers. They had the experience required to protect our young lives that we lived in lack of knowledge so that we won't get lost. Humanity lives in an immeasurable bubble of experience. Everything that is ever said, done, thought, felt or spoken is recorded in the subtle matter that we call the Akashic Records, the subtle etheric realms of our world. All accumulated experience of humanity is available. We breathe in that memory constantly, wherever we go, comparable to Rupert Sheldrake's 
morphogenetic fields. And sooner or later, these experiences reflect themselves back to their creators to make them aware of the consequences of their actions. So you can say that we are infant gods because we constantly create, impulsively, without any knowledge, like a sorcerer's apprentice. And therefore the results of our actions have to be brought to our attention so that we may mature and gain true knowledge about how things are interrelated in the universe. No man is an island. And that is what karma is. It is not a sin. It is not a burden. It is the only opportunity to gain knowledge so that we don't get lost. Karma functions love fully, like our protective mother's hand, until we can do without. We breathe in karma. It's the fabric of our existence. It consists of our individual karma of the microcosm, the family or the country's karma, and the karma of humanity. It constantly guides us, it is our innate intelligence, if we use it properly. We can't run away from karma, like a child that wants to run away from its own shadow. The only way is to befriend the shadow as a part of ourselves. Only if we become light will the shadow disappear. Use your indwelling intelligence of karma in your daily life. Try to make every decision as consciously as you can by reflecting on the consequences of your speech, acts, thoughts and emotions. In the book of Merdat by Michael Naimi, chapter 5, we are reminded of that unity by the following words. I say to you, your very flesh and bone are not the bone and flesh of you alone. Innumerable are the hands that dip with you in the same flesh pots of earth and sky. Whence come your bone and flesh, and whither they return? Nor is the light in your eyes the light of you alone. It is as well the light of all that share the sun with you. What could your eye behold of me, were it not for the light in me? It is my light that sees me in your eye. It is your light that sees you in my eye. Were I a total darkness, your eye looking at me would be a total darkness. Nor is the breath within your breast the breath of you alone. All those that breathe, or even breathed the air, are breathing in your breast. Is it not Adam's breath that still inflates your lungs? Is it not Adam's heart that is still beating in your hearts? Nor are your thoughts the thoughts of you alone. 
the sea of common thought does claim them as her own. And so do all the thinking beings who share that sea with you. Nor are your dreams of you alone. The universe entire is dreaming in your dreams. Nor is your house the house of you alone. It is as well the dwelling of your guest, and of the fly, and of the mouse, the cat, and all the creatures that share the house with you. Beware, therefore, of fences. End of quote. Open your consciousness to the soft voice from karma so that you can avoid going another round in the endless carousel of experiences in the earthly life that we have to live. If you stop acting out of unconscious impulses, karma can become your best friend, your anamkara, the friend of your soul that shows you the way. Then you will be able to avoid the burning stoves and the high cliffs and find the quickest way home where that missing something is waiting, the real you. That real you is knocking on the doors of your heart. Since time's immemorial, it has been waiting to be released and return home to its original field of life. It is still a seed of original life in our hearts, but it will germinate and mature if we allow it to. Until then, karma will have to guide us through life, until we have gained so much experience, individually and as humanity, that we won't need to look outside of ourselves anymore to find what we really need, what we really seek. Not a single trip to another planet, not a single dive into the ocean or the best job ever can be compared to finding that missing something alive in yourself. And karma will patiently bring us to exactly that point in our lives. Then we will be able to continue our life more consciously away from the mere experimental towards true knowledge. We read in the Bhagavad Gita that which seems like poison at first but tastes like nectar in the end. This is the joy of sattva, born of a mind at peace with itself. The child we have mentioned during this reflection, that child, you, me, bears within a glimmer of spiritual awareness, the mustard seed, the rosebud in the heart, as we call it in the rosy cross. This is where we can find the key to understand the layers of the law of karma, from within ourselves, free from cultural, religious and personal filters. Out of this center of a different consciousness, that child, you and me, 
can access the higher, the inner dimension of that law. And just when looking back at our childhood, we can recognize how much of what our parents did, even when it seemed unjust, was out of love. If we find this key, we can truly open the door to spiritual enlightenment. And then, what was once perceived as the constricting force of karma is revealed to us as the loving force of the all, carrying us until we are ready to walk by ourselves, cooperating consciously out of true knowledge. And then the law of opposites reveals itself as the law of oneness, the law of love. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed it. If you wish to support us in reaching more people, like our posts, rate us with 5 stars on iTunes, leave a positive comment where you can, or share our content on your social media.